This is AgriPulse Open Mic. I'm your host, Jeff Downey. Our guest this week is Oklahoma 3rd District Representative Frank Lucas. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by Bayer. Learn more about the Bayer Be Care program at behealth.bayer.us. AgriPulse Open Mic continues with Representative Frank Lucas next. While growers and beekeepers may seem unlikely friends, the work within both industries easily intersects to create positive environmental impact all around. That's why Bayer created the CARE program. CARE is an acronym reminding growers to communicate, be aware, reduce dust, and ensure correct planting practices to reduce risk to pollinators during planting season. Now, in its sixth year, Bayer encourages growers to embrace responsible stewardship practices with four simple tips. Communicate planting activities with neighboring beekeepers. Be aware of wind speed and direction during planting. Help reduce the amount of dust released by using Fluency Agent Advanced as their seed lubricant and ensure seed is planted correctly. Visit beehealth.bear.us for more information on land and product stewardship. This is AgriPulse Open Mic. Congressman Frank Lucas chaired the House Agriculture Committee between 2011 and 2015 and says he still carries scrape scratches and some political calluses from the multi-year effort that became the 2014 Farm Bill. If low commodity prices and an uncertain trade future weren't enough, Lucas says weather alone is incentive enough to write a new set of farm laws. Literally the western, I'd say almost 45% of the state, we are in drought conditions over in the Texas panhandle. We had a weather mass that moved through. The moisture dropped to 6 5%, depending on where you're at. We had temperatures in the 98, 99-degree range. We had sustained winds of 30 miles an hour with gusts of 50. And when the highline wires started popping and the other unexpected sparks started occurring, we had a series of fires that, when all added up together, represent better than a third of a million acres burnt off in the 3rd District of Oklahoma. If you wanted to make a movie about thermonuclear war or the aftermath of World War III, go to Dewey County, Oklahoma, and take a picture, and you can see for miles nothing but just black sticks of trees and posts and stuff burnt off, and that doesn't count the wildlife and the domestic livestock lost. 2017, we had more natural disasters that cost more than a billion dollar damage than any time in recent history. You've got fires in your part of the world. We had flooding. We've had hurricanes. Now we're in the throes of what could become a trade war. We have no new trade deals that are ultimately about to be signed. Farm incomes down 53% up until this year and forecast to be down another 7%. If that's not a reason to write a farm bill, I'm not sure why. You're exactly right. The farm bill safety net is required even more than it ever has been before. And that's even before you factor in the approximate uh, half drop in most commodity prices since 2014. Part of my challenge in the 14 Farm Bill was times were good. People said, why do you need a Farm Bill? Why will you ever need another Farm Bill? And I kept saying, I'm from Oklahoma. I'm in the Southern Plains. I've seen prices go up and down. I've seen it not rain for years at a time. I've seen what can happen all the way back to Jimmy Carter's wheat embargo on the Russians in the 1970s. I've seen what can happen. We have to have a safety net, not for today in 2014, but for what's coming. And thank goodness we have one now in 2018 because under normal circumstances, we'd be in total, complete panic out in the countryside. It's tough. It's hard. But people are holding on, and the safety net exists under this farm bill. 
they're holding on now. That means we have to have the 2014 Farm Bill because if we don't extend or pass a new Farm Bill, the present set of policies begin to expire on the first day of October 2018, and that's not many months away. You put in enough work on the 14 Bill to have passed two Farm Bills over the duration and the period of time, and it wasn't easy then. So now I'm asking if I can, and the reason for our visit here is, let's reflect on where we've come from. Mm-hmm. And can you help define where we are now trying to write a farm bill in an election year? This is the third generation of farm bill. If you look back from a historic perspective, from 1933 to 1996, it was supply management. From 1996 to 2014, it was the old direct payment program, the fixed payment program, a way of transitioning away from govern- the federal government telling us what we could plant and how much we could sell to letting the market decide. The direct payments, probably the best economic policy, but not sustainable. So in 14, we adopt this present concept of insurance. You go in, if you want to participate in the program, you do. You decide what kind of coverage you want, how much you want to pay. Do you want uh, price protection PLC? Do you want ARC, a revenue-based protection? You decide what you want to do. You decide how you want to address the weather, and you move forward. It's worked amazingly well. The markup of the bill in the House Agriculture Committee, the controversy was not about the commodity title or rural development or conservation or farm credit. The controversy, because those programs are basically refined extensions of the 14 bill, the controversy was how to handle the social nutrition programs. And leadership in the United States House on the Republican side and Chairman Conway believe that we need to take the next step forward in trying to help people get off dependency, have an opportunity to live up to their potential. That's where the work or education requirements, if you're going to be on SNAP, what many of us still think of as the food stamp program, come in. Uh, the minority side didn't, uh, weren't very impressed with that, but nonetheless, the bill passed out of committee. We'll see now when we're able to go to the floor, will it pass there? Then we have to wait on the United States Senate. Remember, no matter what a committee does in the House or the Senate, it's subject to full floor consideration, House or Senate, and ultimately the bodies never, ever pass an exact duplicate bill. So we go to conference. That's where this will be worked out. What kind of social nutrition programs will be in the bill that goes to the president's desk? I can't say, but crop insurance will still be there. I'm confident that producers will get to decide anew whether they want to go with ARC or PLC, and they'll get to decide how much of each program they want, which was a promise, as you remember, Jeff, in the 2014 Farm Bill. We lock you in for five years, and at the end of the five years, you get to decide again whether it's a new bill or, in the worst-case scenario, a one-year extension of what we had. And extending what we have is not bad. It'd be better to do a new bill for five years, but even if we extend for one year, our producers will get to decide again which way they go because that was the commitment made for almost five years ago. But if you extend the current bill, then you wouldn't have the option to choose between ARC and PLC. No, 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 no. no. The commitment I made to producers in 2014 was at the end of this bill, you will get to decide again. You will use the five-year experiences you have, and you will decide whether it's for one year if it's an extension or five years if it's a new bill. Do you want ARC? Do you want PLC? What do you want to do? You'll get to start all over again. That, I am comfortable, will be in the bill. That's the language that was in the bill we passed out of committee. If in the scenario we have to do a one-year extension, I'm confident it'll be in there because that is something that has to happen. Producers have to be able to use their experiences to make decisions that are in their best interest. And ultimately what's in their best interest is in the interest of the whole country. Now you took some heat off by in the omnibus having cotton and dairy provisions 
resolved there, or else this would be in crisis mode right now. Give Chairman Conaway much credit. He worked very diligently with the existing leadership, with the other side of the committee, Ranking Member Peterson, to try and address those issues. In those two circumstances, in the 14 bill, we did what we thought the commodity groups affected wanted. Remember, our cotton friends were coming out from under the WTO case with the Brazilians. They were under great legal pressure. Stacks, which is, was different than the rest of the program, was what they had to have, they felt, to get unhooked from that lawsuit. It didn't work. So now we provide them with protection that is basically similar to what everybody else has. Dairy, and I promise you, Jeff, I don't fully understand dairy. I don't think any living person completely understands dairy, but we've taken an effort to try and address those problems. We're good to go. We just have a little social nutrition policy to work through and a group called the United States Senate to persuade. I'm comfortable the president will sign what we send him. We just have to send him something good. So not only did you write a bill and some difficult times with, by the way, a similar leader on the minority side of the aisle, you also saved 23 billion dollars and doing it so you save money and wrote a new policy too so why is now so difficult well give uh, leadership in the house credit chairman conaway starts off not having to save extra money he starts off with what he has and if these work requirements these education requirements help to reduce the roles the bill says as we've been promised the money that's saved from snap will be rolled into the education programs so we'll increase the opportunities for our fellow citizens who may need to learn a skill or add to their skill sets to be able to earn more income to get away from the need to even have food stamps so it's a lot of moving parts it's a tough challenge i will acknowledge in the 2014 farm bill it wasn't just writing a farm bill it was trying to write an entirely new policy system I think we've been successful. I think we'll see those basic concepts in the commodity title extended for another five years. At least that's my hope. Because you know, you know the tenet that I set forth when we started the Farm Bill in 2012. All commodity groups, all regions have to have access to the safety net. doesn't matter where you're farming it, what you're farming. All commodity groups needed to be treated in an equitable and fair fashion. We achieved that. That's why, even with price pressure, even with the weather challenges and the disasters in all commodity groups in all regions, we're treading water. We're not getting rich. We're not holding our own economically, but we're treading water till we get to a better day. Now, Colin Peterson, you've worked with, and I respect him. He seems to have his producers. I love at, both at, my chairman and ranking member. At, at his heart. But he said, you know, I don't, I don't really have a problem with the work requirement. I have a problem with how the money's going to be spent. I would just note and I say this respectfully of both my chairman and my ranking member, they're both CPAs, both certified public accountants. Every column's got to add up, every number's got to match, and they're confident in their opinions that they offer at the end. But ultimately, legislating is an art, not a science. And ultimately, you've got to be able to work together. You've got to get to a point where we achieve the most common good, do the greatest amount uh, we can for our fellow citizens with the resources that are available to us. We're going to get there. We just had a rockier start this time. Uh, also remember, and I've been around long enough to have seen this, this is not the first time we had a party line vote in an ag committee. 1996, we tried p twice to pass a farm bill out of the House Ag Committee, uh, and we couldn't even get enough votes to pass one out of committee. So we've had a few tough times legislatively before, and we worked through that. We'll work through this. I'm a wheat farmer, man, from western Oklahoma. I'm always optimistic. You know that. <laughs> All right, so let's think just a little bit further. The president has an attitude toward trade, 
And he's doing exactly what he said he would do when he was campaigning, that he's going to take on China and he's going to walk away from trade deals. And that has a lot of farmers nervous right now, Congressman. I was invited down to the White House. There were four governors, six senators, six House members, the the Secretary of Ag, the President's son-in-law, the White House Chief of Staff, and it was to discuss ag and trade. We spent an hour and a half with him. By the way, I will acknowledge to you, after an hour and a half, I was exhausted. The energy level of that man, trying to keep up with him, uh, it was exhausting. But I came away from that meeting realizing this is the guy's business. This is how he took his $10 million and turned it into billions, wheeling and dealing and trading. Now, we might call him a used car salesman. My grandfather might have called him a horse trader. But he understands moving things around. He understands how to get the maximum return on it. What he basically asked of us was give him some time to do what he does best. He gave the impression that we were getting close on a renegotiated NAFTA. Canada and Mexico, and that we would like it. I've got to take him at his word until I see the document. He discussed the China situation. He said, again, give me a little time. I'm making progress. See what they've said on cars. See what they're doing. Now, since then, they put the tariff on our grain sorghum people. That's the first shot across the bow. But 179% the, were the tariff. Uh, it basically means that those boats that were in the Pacific headed to China aren't going to be unloaded there. But that was the first shot across the bow. I believe him when he says give him a little time to work his way through it. And he also touched on the subject of potentially reentering the TPP process, the Trans-Pacific Partnership. But what he said there was the first deal was not good. We have to have a better deal. We've got so many things going at once here. So I left the meeting more optimistic. I would say this because rural America, along with blue-collar working-class America, call it Rust Belt if you want, those are the two groups that made him president. Those are the two groups that are greatest impacted by uh, trade. If he's successful in this, not only does he change the trajectory of the country for a generation, he guarantees his re-election. He's got a lot invested in this too, just like my wheat farmers and my cattlemen and my pork people and my cotton people and my corn people and my bean people and my grain sorghum people. He's got a lot invested in this, too. This is his business. So I think about this, and you look at the report the administration did on China, $375 billion trade deficit. That's one. China breaking the WTO rules and spending up to $100 billion on crop subsidies with the majority of the surplus of grain in the world sitting in their storehouse. There's a lot of things wrong here. The Chinese have run amok when it comes to trade for 30 years. This is just the first president who's willing to go after them. And I would also say, in fairness to Donald Trump, every president since Ronald Reagan until Donald Trump, without regard, Republican, Democrat, whatever you think of any of them, our trading partners, our military opponents around the world could almost guess a year in advance what we were going to do. Nobody can guess what Donald Trump's going to do tomorrow or this afternoon. And in horse trading, that's a good quality. This renewable fuel standard, the president has also taken on and is looking at some sort of a compromise, trying to mix oil and water, so to speak. Is this an issue that the, the, the White House needs to handle, or is this a leave it to Congress and let us handle it? Let's talk pure politics for a moment. What's the first caucus state in America? Iowa. Every presidential candidate since Ronald Reagan, with the exception of John McCain, has sworn an oath to ethanol. It's just the political reality we work in. I would also note, too, one of the challenges that you have to deal with with ethanol, and I'm in an oil and gas and livestock feeding intensive district. We buy corn. We're corn importers mixed with our feed grain situation. But I remind uh, my fellow producers, about 30% of the corn crop now goes through a federally mandated program called ethanol. 
what would happen if you did away with ethanol completely and you dumped that extra 30% of the corn crop into the human and animal food chain? Corn is in North America and in many ways the world the, the standard feed grain. Human consumption, animal consumption, energy production, uh, you can burn it, you can drink it, you can do all sorts of stuff with it. Uh, if you bust the price of corn, you're taking down wheat and barley and oats with you. And in the short term, my livestock people say hallelujah. But once you dishevel an entire industry, I mean, who knows what would happen to the production over the coming years. So short answer is expanding ethanol. I'm not from the Midwest. I don't know that that's in anybody's best interest personally. But by the same token, we can't just dramatically turn it off because we'll shock the entire grain price complex for years to come. I've got to have a balance. I've got to keep everybody going. We need to eat and be able to transport our stuff at the same time. Our thanks to the former chair of the House Agriculture Committee, Oklahoma 3rd District Congressman Frank Lucas, our guest this week on Open Mic. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by Bayer. Learn more about the Bayer Bee Care Program at beehealth.bayer.us. For AgriPulse, I'm Jeff Alley.